0: We've Kevin Barson, who's our lead pastor, who's uh, going to be preaching the Word to us um, from some scattered passages throughout Matthew chapter 13, um, which is found on page 818 in the House Bible in front of you. So if you're able, go ahead and stand with me, please, as we read. I'm actually going to read all of chapter 13, so please bear with me. Kevin told me to read fast. That's what I'm going to try to do. Okay. Uh, page 818. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat before the sea. And a great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who is not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear for truly i say to you many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and do not see it and to hear what you hear and do not hear it hear then the parable of the sower when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart this is what was sown along with the path And as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seeds in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So their servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Le- le- and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour so it was all leaven. Things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all the lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings, out of, who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do and he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Your parables words of Jesus confuse us at times, but also offer us great hope as we sit and as we think and as we hear from you. God, would you open our hearts and our minds to believe and understand. Help Kevin God as he delivers your word to us today. In your name, amen. First
1: Timothy 4.13 says to I would argue. And I'm trying to turn the timer on here so I don't talk for two hours and for some reason we may be out of luck. We may not be charged. Um, Seth, good job. It kind of kind of felt like I had it on my podcast app at 1.5 or something. It kind of reminded me of this time back in the day where I led worship at this homeless shelter right before because I'm about to bring the controversy. Some of you may rage and, and walk out after this. But just hear some of these names. Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio. Jennifer Lopez, Alex Rodriguez. Kim Kardashian and Reggie Bush. Cheryl Crow and Lance Armstrong. Sierra and Russell Wilson. Giselle and Tom Brady. We could go on and on and on. This kind of thing, you know, where celebrities um, date big-time athletes. That's been happening for quite a while, right? But for some reason, Travis Kelsey dates Taylor Swift. That starts happening, and everybody goes absolutely nuts, right? Now, if we really think this through, it really isn't that complicated, especially here in Missouri. It's this perfect storm of all this anger directed toward the Chiefs, who now People, they look at this and they think, wow, this is the, the greatest love story ever, right? Travis's dedication to, to beg her for a date, Taylor coming and supporting him in all of his games, it's driven ratings, if you didn't know, completely through the roof. Last week's AFC Championship game was the highest-rated one of all time, right? An NPR interview this last week said that the NFL has had its highest viewership of women ever marketing group says swift following the nfl has added around 330 million in brand revenue to the chiefs and to the league but to some people though this is nothing short of a sports travesty right angry men with beards you know have been caught as she's entering stadiums screaming out you're shots of drunk guys in the cold with their shirts off, I guess. But this relationship has been so Well, what does this have to do with the passage we just read? You may wonder that. Today we're jumping into these parables taught by Jesus. We're going to see many more in Matthew. We see groups of people here. They hear exactly the same stories, and their reactions are pretty much as strong. They're just as opposite. It's every bit as introduction in chapters 1 and 2 where we see the beginning of Christ's life and ministry. There's this conclusion in chapters 26 through 28 where we see Jesus go to the cross and rise from the grave. But in between, there are these five cycles of stories and sermons of Jesus. So five different cycles, stories, sermons, stories from five times. We just wrapped up the third round of narrative about Christ's ministry, stories. some more sermons. And this sermon, this collection of Christ's saints is almost entirely made up of parables. There are eight of them. But also within the chapter, there are two explanations of two of the parables. And there are also two explanations from Jesus, quoting from the Old Testament, as to why he even uses those parables to begin with. Again, there's many more parables in Matthew. We've already seen some. We'll definitely see more. But this is the highest concentration not done before, and I want us to spend some time talking about what parables are all about, and how we should rightly respond to them. The TLDR, as the kids like to say, is this. Haters are going to hate, so don't be one of saw him teaching before and sitting around the sea of galilee and great crowds it says gathered about him so much that he got into a boat and sat down and he taught them from there as they stood along the shore specifically verse 3 says that christ told them many things in parables further on in chapter further on in the chapter in verse 34 matthew again Says that Jesus talked to the crowd in parables. He even said, indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. So did that mean that Jesus just only went around talking to these odd cryptic stories? No. We've already heard him talk more plainly in the book. As D.A. Carson explains it, this doesn't mean he used nothing but parables. It means he didn't do much without them. So Christ utilized them a lot in his teaching. Why is that? We'll get to that. But first of all, what are parables anyhow? To put it most simply, parables involve a comparison. Something known, something relatable, is or is like something else. They're stories that point to a truth. Clyde Stockgrass describes a parable this way. It is an expanded analogy used to convince and how things really are and then move us to do something about it. That's why Eugene Peterson calls parables subversive. I like that. He says they, they sound ordinary, they're they're secular, but people would walk away from them thinking about them until suddenly they just explode in their hearts. And sometimes they even walk away and realize he was talking about me go-to method that we see for teaching in the Gospels. If you've ever heard the definition, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, it's not exactly true. Yeah, these stories, they do point to a whole other world, but they're also meant to impact us right here in the one we're at right now. That's a bit about what parables are, but how do we understand them? So last week, I, I brought throughout. I commonly do. My family here. By the way, can I please listen to Tony Romo on Sunday? Please? Anyway, but you're sitting there and someone says, um, you know, hey, the more I think about this, I think the big boat, you know, it represents the economy. (laughs) The wind and the waves and the cold temps, those are the, the market forces that are pounding against the nation. The iceberg From Jerusalem to Jericho, and he's overcome by robbers, and all the good religious people passing by, but then a man stops and helps him. The Good Samaritan, right? Over Luke. Well, Augustine says the man there represents Adam. Jerusalem is heaven. The robbers are the devil. Them stripping and beating him and, and, and all of that is us, you know, the devil getting us to sin, um, him taking away. immeasurable ways. But the story's about love, man. Right? That's the point. Love of neighbor more specifically. And of course, how that reveals our heart. But there's a point to it. And so we can't go down that road. I'm not talking about the the road to, to Jericho, but the allegorical road. And that's because parables almost always just have one main point. Next week, I don't think this will spoil the sermon, but Jeff is going to comes from what the Lord indeed wants us to hear. Second, though, I want to turn to the purpose of parables. Why does Jesus use them so much? What are they all about? And I think we can answer this in two ways from the passage we just read. They reveal on one hand a separation and they point ahead to restoration. They reveal separation, they point to restoration. So let's take one of those at a time. One, one novel I really enjoyed this past year is called The Little Liar by Mitch Al and it's this charming, engaging story set in World War II that illustrates the power of truth, and then also the beauty of redemption. I loved it, but at the beginning, there's this story, there's this parable. See me coming. And Parable replies, Well, look at you. You're you're starved naked. Of course they run. They're scared of you. So Parable, who's clothed in several colorful robes, hands one to Truth and says, Here, put this on and try again. And she does, and this time Truth, as Alvin puts it, is welcomed warmly by the same people who had once run away. some people, as we'll see. But for others, I would argue that it's more like truth, again in the eyes of the beholder, is handed a dirty, smelly coat, one that disgusts, one that distracts, and often, on the other hand, makes people turn and run. As Eugene Peterson again explains, that point to something greater, to something deeper. But where people end up, as they listen to these stories, it can go in two dramatically different ways. And that's what we see here in this passage. It's what Jesus says. Look with me back at verses 13 through 17 again. Here we see our first Old Testament reference. Verse 13. And this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and indeed see but never perceive for this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear for truly I say to you many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it So the disciples, they ask that question in verse 10. Why are you talking like this, Jesus? What gives? And then Jesus answers them, and he quotes Isaiah 6. Do you know that story? Do you know what's going on there? Right at the beginning of the book, God calls that prophet. He tells him to go preach. Isaiah gets this vision. He sees the Lord high and lifted up in the temple. Glorious angels are flying all around him. They're crying, holy, holy. shaking under his feet and Isaiah is overwhelmed he falls to his face he cries out in desperation I'm a sinner my mouth is dirty I can't be a prophet an angel grabs a burning coal from the altar flies up touches his lips his guilt has been atoned for that's what the angel tells Isaiah And now he's good to go and preach. And the Lord asked Isaiah to do exactly that. And the prophet responds with all this enthusiasm. But then in verses 9 and 10, we see these words that are quoted here in Matthew. The Lord says to the prophet, I'm going to send you to preach. But this is what's going to happen. Their hearts will be hard. They won't listen to anything. You're going to say, it all. They don't want to see. They don't want to hear. They can't understand. They don't want to understand. And you're just going to go and preach and preach and preach and just make everything worse. Imagine if that's what God asked you to do. This is what Isaiah, though, goes out and experiences. Now, Jesus, he stands in the line of the prophets, but he's the greatest of them all. And, of course, he's still much more than that, right? But like them... With parables, and like them, he experiences these exact same reactions. And his words reveal a separation, and that's the first purpose of these parables that we see right here. Why does Jesus use them? Well, to teach those who wanted to listen. For them things were made very clear by these stories but also to frustrate those who would not for them things made no sense at all either they heard them just as stories or what they heard made them really really mad and again those are the same kinds of reactions that we see around the Word of God today so again some people will talk about parables and they'll say Well, no doubt these go against everything we've been taught to believe in the United States of America, because they say so clearly that our vision and hearing rest in the sovereign will of God. Hear these words again: To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For the one who has, more will be given will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Why can some see and others can't? Jesus says, speaking to those who follow him, to you it has been given, but to them it has not been given. You who have, you'll get more. As for them, the revelation they have, even that's going to be taken away. So again, these are hard reality of what Christ is saying. Whether we can see or not, hear or not, is totally a gift of God's free, sovereign grace. Now, in the world today, we're taught, we all just breathe this in, this idea that we're all morally good, and we just deserve good things. Of course, unless we really mess things up. In the church, it gets a little bit better. It gets knocked down a notch but not nearly far enough where we convince ourselves that we're just morally neutral, right? We can choose God. We can seek his kingdom and his righteousness. We're not. The choice is ours. But the biblical picture is dramatically different from that. Instead, we learn that we're all morally corrupt due to the fall. We all deserve nothing but hell. And that's the way. That's our trajectory. That's where we would go. We'd continue to head from God's grace. The four believers, he overcomes our resistance. He unstops our ears. He removes the scales from our eyes. As Ephesians 2 puts it, we were dead in the trespasses and sin. We were following the course of this world. We were marching after the prince of the power of the air. We were living the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, We were children of wrath, but God. Those two words are massive, right? But God. But God, because of God's rich mercy, because of his great love for us, verse 4, even though we were dead, and dead means dead, it says that he made us alive. raised us from spiritual death to life and now we can see Christ's glory if we believe we can delight in who he is now we can hear God's word we're hungry for what he says for that reason we can hear these parables and we don't want to rage against them so imagine a couple that has been praying for children for a long time and they get on a plane they touch down in Eastern Europe and they, they get in a car and they end up at a children's home. They've been praying for these four children. They, they've seen their faces. Um, they've, they've come up with their, their names and they've just been so excited. And they walk into this children's home. They greet them. They embrace them. They, they gather a few things they have. They begin to walk out. And somebody screams out. say all this? And again, these are Jesus' words, not mine. How is this fair? It seems like God's picking favorites, that he's lifting lifting privileged people up, he's pushing struggling people down. I'm not saying this is easy, but that's definitely not the case. The accent in these verses here is God's sovereignty, but it doesn't diminish the responsibility of humankind at all. If any of us can hear, though, it's only by God's grace, but it's still on us. There's a mystery here. There's compatibility here that we may not understand, but we just have to trust, as it's what God's word so clearly says. The Lord draws some people near as they listen to these words, but he also allows so many to keep going their own. Is on them. They're getting, of course, what they want. The Lord uses these parables to cause a separation. might ask, as you read this, you might have thought, um, what if I read these parables and I can't understand them? Does that mean I'm damned? No. It's not just the crowd move to a second reason why Jesus uses them to point to restoration. To those who will listen, that have ears to hear, Jesus is making something very clear. These parables point to restoration, to the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the coming of the kingdom. We've already seen one passage that Matthew says pointed ahead to Jesus from Isaiah 6 that we saw in verses 14 and 15, but look down in verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, or Matthew says, All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So that he is speaking in these parables. That's a fulfillment in and of itself. But this passage says the Lord fulfills this Old Testament passage, specifically Psalm 78, verse 2 says that those words reached forward to him and the Lord is saying that he's come sharing all these stories pointing to the restoration of all things everything the Old Testament pointed to truths that people couldn't quite understand are being focused on and they're being cleared up in him if we had time to read the whole Psalm 78 we'd hear Asaph the psalmist walk through the history of Israel it's a beautiful psalm. It's one of my favorites. He walks through the righteous acts of God in redemption on their behalf. D.A. Carson puts it this way about this song and its fulfillment here in Matthew. Jesus is presented as the one who is the supreme embodiment of Israel in our history. The one who fulfills all the patterns of the Old Testament regarding Israel. That whole psalm, like, like all the psalms, points to Jesus we've talked recently a few times about how the Bible speaks of this mystery that's now been revealed in Christ things that as verse 35 says were hidden since the foundation of the world it's not that God's playing hide and seek and that the smart and the tough somehow figured out but rather secrets of the kingdom that Jesus talks about in verse 11. Now, in this king, in this kingdom, we can understand or at least some of us can and that's a massive privilege. Isn't that what Jesus says in verses 16 and 17? But blessed your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear for truly I say to you many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear what are the parables all about again the kingdom is here the kingdom has come that's what these parables help us further to understand Seven of the stories here in Matthew 13 say either the kingdom of heaven is like or something really close to that. It's only the first one that doesn't, but the context, the explanation, make it clear. It's talking about this kingdom, this kingdom that God's people had always longed for but couldn't quite sort out. Jesus is here now teaching these stories, making it all clear. For some people, as we've seen, and if that's us, we're deeply, deeply blessed. Jesus is teaching us through these images about the kingdom he has come to bring. He points to this restoration that was promised in the Old Testament and is now being fulfilled in him and in his ministry. Well, as I'm wrapping up here, I want to close with some specific words of application. There are five things I want you to consider. I'll run through these pretty fast. But first, we should rejoice in praise that we've been allowed to see. Again, it's only by His grace. It's for His glory. If we see the beauty in these parables, we're blessed, and we should thank Him. Right? Do we realize the gift here in Matthew 13 and throughout the book? That should drive us into our Bibles and should fill us with praise. Second, we should share with and pray for those who can't. The Lord calls us to go, just like Isaiah, just like the apostles, sharing the good news of his kingdom and that he's the king that we all want. And if anyone listens, we'll praise God, but he uses us as means, doesn't he? It's by his grace. He uses us. And as we go, this means that we have to pray and pray hard as we share. But we keep doing it like Isaiah, like Jesus, but we entrust the results to him. Third, we should brace for and receive ridicule with Jesus. As we go and share his word, if we're doing it faithfully, we're going to experience the same reactions as he did. Right. if Jesus suffered so will we a, servant's, I mean, a servant is not greater than his master um, if we do it'll show that we're on the line of the prophets as well and that there's a great reward ahead of us we saw that back in chapter five hard times as we proclaim means that we're blessed but we need to be ready for the pain fourth we should recognize and celebrate the glory of the kingdom As we read these parables, we're going to learn about his reign together. We're going to learn about the king. And there's so much glory there in the future, but here and now. And we should beg the Lord to let us see that, to, to revel in that, to enjoy that, this amazing restoration of all things that he will bring. Fifth, we should realize and count the cost of ignoring these words. It's no laughing matter to blow off what Christ says. It reveals that we're in the company of the Pharisees and all of those who've resisted God's works of redemption. I, I mentioned earlier how Psalm 78 walks through how God had worked on behalf of his people, but there's another element woven in there of just how stubborn repeatedly the people of God were. Don't be among that number his mercy, if there's even just a sliver of, I still want God, don't miss out on that. Call out to him. Beware of walking away, resisting, scoffing as we see people do here and Matthew. So I mentioned how Jesus stands in the tradition of the prophets, proclaiming the word, giving parables and I spoke about long, long ago? Briefly, I want to take it back to Isaiah 6 again. So following that section I referenced before that's quoted here in Matthew, here's where it goes. Verse 11. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant." is without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain in it, and it will be burned again like a cherubim or an oak, whose stump remains when it is fell, the holy seed is its stump. So Isaiah basically asks, so you're telling me to do this, how long is this going to last? You know, people spurning your rule, people mocking me in your words, and God says, the good news is there's going to be a stump. There's going to be a holy seed that will remain. Little little signs of life. A remnant that will cling to Christ and listen. Heirs of the Lion of Abraham that would believe. So the Lord promised Isaiah that would be the case, and that's a promise that we can cling to today, that he has a people who will hear his parables and trust him as king that will live for his kingdom. And if we're listening, if we're humble, if we're hungry before his word, if we're struggling to trust, and that's what it often looks like, right? That's us. That's who he's talking about there, no matter hard things they get. As I said, Jeff's going to jump into the first parable next week and we're going to consider what kind of soils our hearts are. And we'll spend the next several weeks here in Matthew 13 and we'll look into these pictures and dig into what they mean. We'll seek to remind ourselves of the point that the promises made in the Old Testament have been kept, they've been fulfilled with Christ the King, and in His kingdom that He brings. That point will divide people. Some will lash out, but some will draw near. For those of us who run to Christ and his word, though, it will fill us with hope. It will make us want everyone to hear and want to share it wherever we go and to keep praying, even if it seems like it never will. Carus, we should listen to the parables of Jesus with a humble, hungry heart, realizing so many will struggle with and rebel against them. Let's pray. Father, um, it's a hard passage. It's hard for us to um, get this through our minds and to, yeah, just get through our hearts. Father, um, help us pray. I pray, Father. Help us to just submit our thoughts to yours and to be open to what you would say. Um, Lord, um, thank you that you have given us your word and I just pray that you would give us to hear, and just the eagerness and love for what you said, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.